The following contest is scheduled for one fall. Please welcome Mr. Freds. What's up, everybody? This is Nate the Effing Great from the Brace for Impact podcast. Better bundle up because we're going up north. You are listening to the Fretzelmania podcast on Wrestle Attic Radio, the cure for the common wrestling podcast. Welcome, everybody, to episode, I lost count, I think it's 146 of the Fretzelmania podcast, where today I am reviewing... Royal Rumble 2000, but due to the royal nature of this event, I couldn't come alone, and I consulted a certain king, and uh, I can't do this justice like Nate does, but introducing King Ricky Rose. Brother, what's going on, man? (laughs) Listen, not many people can do... uh how nate does i don't know if i've found anybody that can actually do it uh as as nate does it and just as a little bit of a, a point of correction from obviously the department of corrections that it is myself a gm of wrestleatic radio um you're actually at 144 all right that is, that, that's, you're actually that, episode 144 i'm glad someone is keeping track because i just had that written on my notes but we got royal rebel 2000 we have msg who better than Someone you've been to MSG a bunch of times, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm from New York, born and raised uh, on Long Island, uh, so I'm not necessarily in the city, but um, yeah, I've been to MSG uh, a bunch of times, uh, a lot more so after the renovation. So I I think I was at MSG once when it was like the like the more like the 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and then they did the reno. Actually, no, they did the renovations in the 2010s i believe where uh they kind of switch some stuff around like have you ever seen uh a show at the garden uh like they did raw and smackdown several years ago there it's totally different feel because it would there was a master garden had such a unique look when it came to pro wrestling especially wwe um just because of the way the arena was set up so it's like you get like it's the garden or the bowl of the garden was essentially set up like an oval on the inside. So, but like your walkways or where you would put the entrances, they couldn't really do like a raw or a, or a SmackDown. I mean, they did a lot more in the past, but when you did your big pay-per-views, they really created that kind of that narrow walk where you're kind of in the crowds that we kind of see uh, that they're kind of reverting back to for their bigger events. You know, money in the bank did it backlash did it. Um, Madison Square Garden was pretty synonymous for it, especially with the Rumble. It was very, it seemed like you were like, you were pretty much in the crowd with everybody, especially coming out. Uh, it's it, it's a unique picture and a visual, especially with the cam. So like the hard cam, especially in Royal Rumble 2000, which I noticed, uh, I don't know why I haven't noticed it before, because we've done other Royal Rumble reviews or other reviews of shows at the Garden. The hard cam 
for Royal Rumble 2000 is directly across on the entranceway, which is never done. Interesting. I I didn't actually pick up on that one. That's cool. Yeah, you did. Their stationary hard cam was directly across from the entranceway. It, it becomes more. You notice it more because when, especially during the Rumble match itself, you're seeing a lot of the competitors walk back through the entranceway once they get eliminated. And usually you never see that, especially in modern times. Yeah, they, they get, a, some of them even get eliminated off camera, but we have here. Yeah. January 2000, it's MSG. We got almost 20,000 people in attendance. January 24th, to be exact here, so it's 24 years and change from now. The buy rate was 590,000, but before we get into the rigors wow. of this show, Ricky, would you like to hear some pop culture and WCW from the time? Uh, yeah, absolutely, because I... Well, how old was I when I, I was like 11 when, when it was 2000? So, yeah, I definitely jogged my memory a little bit. So, in theaters, we had Fantasia 2000. Oh, yeah. Never saw the movie, but I heard great things, I think. Have you seen the original, though? No, I know the original is like a classic. I'm not much of a Disney person myself. Um, like, I've seen the classics, Beauty and the Beast, Snow White, Cinderella, all that stuff, but it was never like really my my jam little lion king obviously so i've seen them here and there but i'm not like i'm not hardcore whip it like i am like the marvel cinematic universe or something like that this is all just animated bits done to classical music it's actually really nice oh yeah no, also, i remember the concept oh yeah we also had next friday r.i.p john witherspoon there's a lot of there's a couple of people that have passed away in that John Weberson being the most prominent one, but yeah, Zippo, yeah, what a classic that was. Debo, yeah, he's he's gone too, right? Yes, he is. He passed away like right before a New Year rang in. I forgot what I forgot which year it was, but it was recent, very recent. We also had Boondock Saints. Ah, Jesus, cold classic for most for a lot of people. Oh yeah, and the Hurricane. It's a movie with Denzel Washington. I think it's about a boxer. Yeah, he was a uh, African American boxer. It's based on a true story, um, but I I remember I think I went with my parents to see that in the movie theaters. But yeah, uh, he was an African American boxer. Something happened with him where he was like wrongfully imprisoned or something like that. I I don't remember so, but I remember that being a very prominent movie for the time. It was an all right one. Video games we had Crazy Taxi, Mario mm. Party Two. And yes. Dragon Dragon Warrior Monsters, which was kind of a very good attempt at a Pokemon clone on the Game Boy Color. I think I had that game back in the day, but Mario Party 2, I mean, 2 and 3 have to be the goats when it comes to those games. Listen, I'll do Mario Party any day of the week, any age I am. Mario Party is just a great, fun time if you have the right people. Like, it's a great party game. Uh, for video games, especially in this term of like live service and stuff, sometimes it's really simple when you're getting people together to play a game. And unfortunately, I don't have anything Nintendo, but I was big N64 kid uh, growing up. And I wish like Nintendo could do some sort of working partnership with like Xbox or PlayStation because I'd love to do like Mario Party nights with friends on like either of those devices. I have a Switch here behind me and the N64 controller to boot uh. for it, but. I have not kicked up any 
Mario Party. I think you can play online in that, but on to the if music. you can, that would be fantastic. I think you can. You can do it with 007. I know that. That just mm. bring brings everything back. <laughs> in music, we had Dr. Dre and Eminem. Forgot about Dre. The motherfucker yes. is that. I don't know this one, Ricky. I don't know if you you, you might, but D'Angelo, how does it feel? Yes, this song was it's a great song in my opinion um but this song was really um got a lot of traction from pop culture especially because of the simplicity of the music video so this music video got really really popular because d'angelo very um very great physique of a man uh was shirtless the entire video so he's in a black background and the camera pans around him and he's shirtless the whole time doing the song that's the only thing you see so like it pretty much cuts it off right before like it is implied but he's completely nude okay <laughs> yeah it was it was, but it, like he's he's ripped he's jacked he's in great shape you know he goes to the gym so very good for him uh but that's the whole video it's like a one-shot camera panning around him and he's saying like how does it really keeps on looking down like there's someone underneath him uh but you never you never really see it might ring a few bells now i'm gonna have to look that up yeah, speaking you, of things it's that... a very classic thing that you can find oh yeah speaking of things that will ring bells our last two Big hits. I hear them all the time on the radio at work. NSYNC, Bye Bye Bye, and Blink-182, <laughs> all the small things. Oh, what a time to be alive. This is this is peak, peak TRL era of music. And when TRL was like the hottest thing in town, it was great because and T they planned it great because TRL would always come on about like 3, 3.30 when everybody's getting home from school. So it was like the first thing you watch. Like the TRL day was really cool. TRL like time of uh, of music was really cool. This was also the the Much Music Countdown up here in the Great Oh, White yes. North. Much Music. I miss that channel. Much Music was always a fun channel. It was good. Like, when we first got it in, like, the mid-90s, I filled cassette tapes full of just random music videos back when they used to play them all day long. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Now you got to go to, like, Vimeo on, like, YouTube. Uh, no, whatever. You. Or, no, not Vimeo. Uh, uh, what is it, Vivo? Yeah, it's Vivo. That's right, yes. And speaking of no thank you, WCW sold out, I believe, was the week previous to this. If you want an in-depth analysis of this, I suggest all of you go back into our back catalog, the Wayback mm. catalog, for good brother Mance of The Delight Show, who did his <laughs> torturous reviews of WCW in 2000. This event is kind of cursed in a few ways, we'll, I'll get to in a minute. We had Billy Kidman, a name you're going to hear a lot, versus mm -hmm. Dean Malenko. Dean Malenko in a catch-as-catch-can match. Oh, they did, they did that match in WCW? That's pretty awesome. Vampiro beat Crowbar and David Flair in a handicap match, as it seems. The Mamelukes beat the Harris Twins. Oh. Oklahoma. Friggin' Oklahoma. Ed Farrara. Beat Medusa for the cruiserweight title. That Medusa. Brian Nobbs beat Fidley, Mang, and Norman Smiley for the hardcore title. Kidman back again, defeating Perry Saturn in a bunkhouse brawl. 
Booker T oh. defeated Stevie Ray by DQ. This is not the match where the letter T is on the line. That's the next event. <laughs> oh, Tank Abbott beat Jerry Flynn. Buff Bagwell beat DDP in a last man standing match. The Wall Brother beat Billy Kidman. There he is again in a caged heat match. Kevin Nash beat Terry Funk and in the main event. Although controversially, Chris Benoit defeated Sid to win the WCW title. Sid's foot was under the ropes. The title was held up. And do you know what happened the very next night, Ricky? Did Benoit drop the title? He dropped the title off air and the Radicals debuted the very next night, coming up next week on Fretzelmania. Oh, it was that time. Wow. What a wild, what a wild time. And, you know, Bret Hart was injured. He had just relinquished the title. And I think that's when he retired. It was right after the kick to Goldberg. Jeff Jarrett was injured. And then again, the Radicals would jump ship. Speculation is that Shane Douglas was going to join them. But we all know how Shane fared WWE just four years previous to this. He said, no, thank you. And now finally, after all that, Ricky, let's get into the Royal Rumble. Historic Madison Square Garden, that amazing stage that just makes me picture No Mercy for the Nintendo 64, the taxi cab <laughs> sticking, out at, sticking out on top. Almost 20,000 people in the audience, and we kick off the show immediately with a Kurt Angle open challenge. Jesus says, hey, come out here, whoever you are, and face the and you know, face me, give it your best shot. Yorkie Kurt Angle is the absolute best. Then you hear that familiar music, the familiar heartbeats and the orange, the orange going through the crowd that we've seen in Raws and SmackDowns leading up to this. And in Botchamania Hall of Fame, the delayed, the delayed reaction of it's Taz. Yes, Taz from ECW. He just dropped the ECW title to Mike Awesome. And here he is in the hallowed halls of MSG. He takes Kurt Angle to Suplex City, and a young Brock Lesnar in OVW at this time is taking notes quietly. Whole whack of suplexes, just dropping Kurt Angle right on his head. Locks in the Taz mission, the Katahama, I don't know what that word is, the Katahama J. Angle passes out, and the street is over. Question mark. Uh, Angle here, he of course uh, references Patrick Ewing and the New York Knicks. Ouch. Kurt, I mean, Taz gets an amazing pop and just the Botchamania reaction for Taz, which is now a segment on Matthew's thing. Ricky, how did you like this? A historic debut for the human suplex machine. The cat was out of the bag uh, watching this again. Like, if you listen to the crowd when Angle comes out there, they already know it's Taz. They are. They start chanting, we want Taz, we want Taz. Another thing uh, that occurs is that, I mean, Kurt talks about this a little bit, uh, and so does Shane McMahon. Or no, it was more Kurt talking about uh, Shane. Because Kurt Angle, when he first came to WWE, was kind of young, dumb, and naive to the whole business. Even coming off like Olympic gold medal and everything. So he thought that he would become come in as like a, literally a conquering hero. You know, everybody would love him. He was Olympic gold medalist. And Shane McMahon was one to tell him, like, they're going to hate you. And he didn't figure it out 
until he finally showed up. I think it was like Pittsburgh his first time, and they booed the crap out of him. And then I think he got and he started playing into it. So kudos to WWE and Kurt for being like, this is what's going to happen. We're going to roll into it. And he plays it well because he was young, dumb, and naive. So it kind of really fit into his character. Uh, the Patrick Ewing line, perfect. The Knicks still haven't won since the 70s. So Angle was right. Um, you know, uh, the Taz Pop, really huge for the crowd. Like as soon as like the the heartbeat, you know, the heartbeat monitor started going up audibly, even if it is a botch, I'm not sure, but the edit, or whatever they did in Peacock, it seems instantaneous. Um, because the crowd knew, like you heard the heartbeat and the place popped. Uh and then obviously went into ECW chance. <laughs> um he had a great his best suplex, and he is like the creator of Suplex City. This is precursor of the Brock. Like Taz was called the human suplex machine for a reason. Beautiful stuff. Uh the double underhook belly, double underhook, double belly underhook suplex. From a top rope, fantastic spot. Um, and the choke out, choke out is great because now it brings angles taking the controversy, which I think was a good thing. My only gripe with this is that I don't think it should have started the show. I might, mm. I do have some issues with match placement. Um, you know, I, I feel like because like it's it works, I think, because they're in New York and everybody knew who Taz was in New York. But I think anywhere else you do that debut, it may not have worked. I'm just surprised that the cat was out of the bag. They were like, we want Taz, we want Taz. At such an infantile time in essentially dirt sheets and the internet. You know what I mean? Like things were usually kept really, really secret. I mean, it wasn't until 99-ish that things started going up. But still at that time, it's very surprising that even for a New York smart crowd, that they knew it was, that they legit knew it was Taz. And I think it's probably because... They didn't change any of his ECW like, like uh, his like the way he looked in ECW. He's literally the same guy. Symbol the the theme song, literally the same guy. Obviously, at this time, for the most part, you're getting towards the end of WCW. You know, you're you're coming towards that end, and so and ECW was on its last legs as well. And as we know, Vince was bankrolling ECW for a very very long time. So this makes sense that Paul Heyman would have just let him do whatever he needed to do. As long as one of Paul Heyman's guys, you know, was still getting funded in some way, shape or form for their, for their uh, performances. So it makes sense, but no, it was a good match. Great match. Great debut. Very short, quick, effective. And it does leave a little bit of like, did he beat angle streak? Did he not? It's a good little thing that they started with. And the TV from here is just, it's going to get better. I, I still remember it like the back of my head and, and with some of the smarky crowds, there were some radio shows going on at the time. Up here, up here, we had live audio wrestling with Dan the Mouth Rolanski and mm-hmm. uh, Jason Agnew, I think. And it was on like one of our AM sports stations at like eleven thirty at night on Saturday. Huh. So there, there were shows like that at the time. I'm pretty sure New York may have had like a syndicated radio show of the same ilk but we move on to this could have been a match that could have also started the show and i'm kind of with you on the match placement here especially with something else we're going to see a little later on we got the dudley boys and the hardy boys in a historic tables match we come a little bit full circle because the last show that you and i did also msg 
also involved a couple of the Dudley boys and one of the Hardy boys from Survivor Series 2002. Yes. And in that span of time, I mean, this whole tag team feud, when you add Edge and Christian in here a little later, it's historic and it gets better and better and better. And I think this match here kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but it deserves like a second, third, and probably by my count, a 50th watch because it is it is phenomenal. The, these four have, have chemistry, Dudleys and Hardys. Leading up to this, you know, this is when Bubba Ray Dudley is starting to put girls through tables. You know, we're a couple of weeks away from Mae Young getting powerbombed off the stage. And as that story goes, Mae Young backstage grabs you know, Bubba Ray by the collar and says, don't you fucking dare go easy on me. Slam me as hard as you can. Of course, does the trick, goes backstage, just gives him a little pat, like, yeah, just like that. And innuendo is that when they landed that move, she passed gas on him. <laughs> oh, yeah, hence the face. So that 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 his little face there, it's just like that's a little yeah. So we had the rocket strapped to these guys, and uh the Royal Rumble tonight, I may remind you, is brought to you by one eight hundred collect C A L L A. Oh, that's a different one. C A L A T T. That was the American That's call A T T, yeah. <laughs> call A T T. They're all kind of the same thing. Like I definitely use those to would you accept a collect call from hey it's James, can you pick me up by click? <laughs> <laughs> yep, classic move. And uh, Dudley Boy's here in New York. He says that you guys are ass backwards. You cheer for pretty boy punks like the Hardy Boys, yet you have the audacity to boo my personal hero, the best pitcher of all time, John Rocker. Oh, oh, you mean Nolan Ryan? Anyways, <laughs> you could kiss. No, no, ass John Rocker. I mean that's great heat. John Rocker was public enemy number one. In New York, regardless of Mets or Yankees affiliation. Do you recall John Rocker back that time in Major League Baseball? I, I know the name and I know that he always got heat from New York, but I always forgot why. Okay, so John Rocker was a classic purveyor of chauvinistic, toxic white male, as we would say it today's age. Regardless of him as a person... Fantastic relief pitcher for the Atlanta Braves at the time. Unfortunately, his mouth wrote a check, his ass couldn't cash. Uh, he was on, I mean, it might have been a Sports Illustrated article at the time, but he, and I don't have the quote, and I don't feel like looking up as I just remember it, because it was so bad at the time, and it would be even worse this day and age as well. Um, he went on Sports Illustrated and talked about how he hated going to New York because of all these essentially he made us a lot of innuendos to homophobic and trans people riding the subway and that he thought it was disgusting and that they were all essentially like freaks and things like that. So essentially dehumanizing a bunch of population of people and the city of New York in and of itself. So he very much so quickly became the most hated person in all of New York, uh, especially when the Braves came to town. Okay. For some strange reason, I'm like, it was was John Rocker on the Yankees and was unpopular for okay, there it is. Yeah, no, he was yeah, he was he was a member of the Atlanta Braves uh organization, but he made those and he was good. Like he was really, really good. He might have been a little bit juiced up at the time, but be it as it may, he was really, really good 
uh, as a relief pitcher at the time through crazy heat uh, for for a relief pitcher at the time of, of baseball. But he and he was getting a lot of notable popularity for his talents. And then he he popped up at the mouth in a national magazine as in sports like the sports magazine in sports illustrated and it was rough for him he eventually well he was gone from the league i think a couple of years after and did a lot of alternative leagues or minor leagues you know shortly after that okay and in 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 this mat it's it's noted that both team members must be consecutively put through tables to win so this is not your traditional tag team tables match it's kind of a precursor to what we would see even today well, matt and devon start off with table spots you know jeff hardy does the tight rope walk and then gets a table just thrown at him Je bubba ray just yeets jeff hardy we see all the unprotected chair shots and mm -hmm. as is tradition in the attitude era just all might air horns every bump every bit just reliving that is like, wow, this was actually kind of annoying. That and the friggin' laser pointers. <laughs> oh, God. And I, I got one of those in my other room because my cat plays with it sometimes. But that th those got banned from sports, like, even not long after 2000. They were they were gone. Rightfully uh, so, because that's a, that's, a, that's a hazard to an athlete. Yeah, and it, it can mess with your eyes. It can blind you. Yeah. And it can lead to very unsafe things bubba ray dudley is double superplexed off the middle rope but devon moves the table we see matt going for a ladder and oh i can see the light bulbs going off and creatives heads right here as okay we're gonna add another team into this we're gonna add tables and ladders and chairs oh my we get matt getting a ladder on the outside and they do the Event Omega, the combination leg drop splash off of both sides of the ladder, through Bubba through a table. That's a one and oh. Both Hardys crash and burn through tables, but they're not put through them. They kind of go through them because they're going for a move or something, and we think it ends here, but it does not. We then get the, the steel steps thrown into the ring into the mix here, a super bomb to Matt Hardy, the... As JR calls it, erection destruction. I you use that, JR, and I don't think you know what that means. The two the mm -hmm. the uh, two the two double stack table is set up over the exit. This is a historic shot right here that we would see Jeff Hardy recreate. Bubba chair shot right to the noggin, unprotected again, falls backwards through the stack tables. Devon is swantoned. Jeff Hardy gets the swanton to Devon off the balcony through the table. The Hardys win, and this is one that gets lost in the motion with all the rest of their good matches, but this is just absolutely phenomenal. It's even better on the rewatch. Ricky? Yeah, this should have started a show. Hands down. Mm. Hands down. Uh, I'll, like, all respect to Taz, and like, like it's a great moment, Taz debuting in MSG, but that could have been saved to the middle of the card. You could have saved that uh, in the way that I would book a show because I do, you know, peaks and valleys and stuff like that. They obviously did more of a crescendo thing or, or they did two. They pretty much bookended the show with a lot of good stuff and left the weird stuff in the middle. Miss Royal Rumble 2000 pageant. Um, but it, in this should have started the show. 
it's very interesting to note here a couple of things. One, they mentioned the consecutive thing. Two, JR multiple times throughout the match says they have to be put through the table. Like the person has to be put through the a, a table. What do you say? Um, offensively. Like it has to be an offensive maneuver, which was great to bring some sort of realism, something that JR was really great for, for describing how the match is supposed to go, but also continually reminding them so that everybody can understand. And that's not something announcers really do, except maybe a Michael Cole um, from time to time. But JR was really good at articulating what exact, how exactly needs to go. And him and King actually helped you out as an, as a viewing audience because King's like, that's not offensively. And JR's like, no, that's not how you do it offensively. You have to be actually putting, like, they actually start to explain the match almost as like they're figuring it out with you, um, which is really cool to see. But it also, it helps to guide you through what you're supposed to look for, which I think is a very brilliant commentary uh, at that time. You already mentioned the high unprotected chair shots to the head, which I was looking back and like, oh, wow, we allowed this. <laughs> um, but also, Something that I thought was interesting, um, because you can tell this is an experimental match. No, this is that's why it didn't go on first. I think no one knew what they were gonna do. They mentioned it's the first ever tag team table match, so they are literally like figuring this out as it goes along. You can tell that because some of the the miss going through table spots, like they are very close. The Hardys and Dudleys are very close, and they're very dangerous miss spots that they did on purpose, like. They're about to do, they're about to like put, they're about to like 3D Jeff. It's like the initial table spot. And Matt flips the table out of the way, but it's like he flips it at like the last second and the spokes high. Like with stands of a table are the thing that like flips over and get exposed. And like if they screw that up, it's a very dangerous thing. And they do it multiple times of like, moving tables out of the way at the last second. And like, this is like, that's very dangerous. They screw that up. Um, which is which is a testament to how professional, how good they were, especially the Hardys who were still relatively young. Like they had Terry Runnels as their manager. If you remember the backstage segment before the match, they said Terry stay back. Michael Cole's a backstage reporter with the flipping like late nineties, early two thousands hair. Um, really crazy to see. Um, there was another thing I was mentioned that I wanted to mention. Uh with this is that the ladders i looked at that ladder and i go that's a real ladder like that's not a gimmick ladder which also tells me they were they didn't know what they were getting into because i look at the ladder, I was like oh that's a real like painter's ladder like they found that ladder and used it you know um and like you said i don't think this match gets enough credit because it only got bigger from here this is like the first time that like oh we did something wildly extreme and then you go from that to WrestleMania 2000 with, um, it was a trio tag team. It was tag team. It was not trios, but it was a triple threat tag team table match for WrestleMania 2000. And that's the first, that's the unofficial TLC. Um, and, and, and things like that. And it's, it is fascinating to see what they did. And also Jeff at this time, young athletic, that final spot, he hit the swanton beautifully. You watch Jeff now, and he's he's sometimes good. He's nice. Sometimes he's he'll hit it, but this one hit the sweet spot. It's a perfect dive. It's an absolutely perfect dive for Jeff onto Devon. It was done unbelievably well um, for the time, and it's a it's a great match. Like it doesn't give enough credit as being the first of the like 
crazy extreme matches that they were able to pull off. And I think that's the only reason it didn't it went on second and not first is no one had a clue how how it would um be received by the crowd. They they absolutely loved it. They nailed it. There was a bit before on SmackDown where Matt is power bombed through Jeff and through the table, which just that looked like that hurt like a son bitch. The Terry no. If if you're a longtime podcast listener to certain Attitude Era podcasts, that's that's a running gag. But oh, here's a gag coming up next. This Rumble swimsuit competition. Do we have to? We got Ivory, Terry, Jackie, Baba Bush, or BB. Get it, get it, get it. That's and that's what BB was. I had no clue because I saw this. I'm like, who the hell is BB? I don't remember her. Very short-lived, started off as this voluptuous nurse. And the thing was, like, oh, I'd like to get resuscitated by that. Bob Holly went out with her for a while. Uh (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about Bob. Oh, we'll get there. And we got the women's champion. Was she the women's champion? She was. She was announced as the women's champ. Okay, because I know we're getting towards Harvey Wilpin and Whippleman and Drag winning the title, and then Jacqueline, and then Stephanie. And they all come out here. We have your judges, who are Sergeant Slaughter, multiple-time tag team t- champion Tony Gurria, the fabulous Mula. and did you notice the fan tried to, like, grab her and kiss her on the way to the ring? No, what I did notice, I did not notice that. Um, what I did notice is that no, the crowd didn't like fabulous Mula. It was pretty evident in the listen through. Like, it was like, I mean, like I said, New York usually is a kind of a more of a smarter wrestling crowd. But also, this is very much in a very infantile stage compared to now of the internet being a widespread thing. So it's surprising to me, knowing what I know now about Mula and all of the very um, horrible things she did to other women under her care coming up as young performers it's very interesting to, to know that a lot of the new york fan base was well aware and she was not well received when she walked to the ring and during on top of that during the classic msg days of the 70s 80s and 90s she was one of the main heels in in that division that also could uh, could 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 be a part of it as well I I don't I didn't even know anything about her until all the the dark side of the ring and all that came out. Just horrendously awful stuff. And her yeah. final ones are Johnny Valiant Valiant Brothers, classic tag team of the seventies, and the goat when it comes to Attitude Era pay per view promos, Blassy Freddie Blassy. WrestleMania <laughs> just oh. Chills every time I see him. Luna refuses to participate. Don't forget you every- have Andy Richter as a special guest as well. I I literally hit 3x on the network just to fast forward the shit out of this thing because I know what was coming. <laughs> this I'm in I'm in 10th grade when this comes out. This was tape traded all to crap. And I have my friends <laughs> who would joking jokingly say that there was something that happened here that they got pleasure from but i don't think they were being serious everyone does their bit andy rector does a andy rector does his does his spiel 
And then Mae Young gets involved, says, hey, I want to get in, get in on this. And she wins. Because her, her puppies fall out, but it is a it was a prosthetic. It was not real because that would have gotten them not only thrown off of Channel 4 in the UK, which happened as a result of this thing. They literally <laughs> just they literally just started on Channel 4 in the UK. They see that and it's like, nah, mate, out. You're out. And the judges rule May Young the winner. Speaking of toxicity, just shit of its time. Do you have anything to say about this one, Ricky? I do actually. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned who was the women's champ, but we did mention we said someone's woman's champ, but it was the cat. Um, the cat was the women's champ at the time, who I believe at that time she was in a re real relationship with the king. At they at that married. very moment, they were married. Yeah, because the king goes like cuckoo for cocoa puffs when she comes out, um, and that's that's kind of the reason why for it. Uh, it's it's interesting here. What I remember mostly, because it's very much so, except for the May Young bit on Peacock Uncensored, um, and like the women who are dressed up are very in very revealing outfits under the robes for the most part. Um, and the the interesting thing about it is that the, when I first remember this being a thing, the biggest thing was the cat and her bubble wrap bikini because they were trying to top what she had done previously when she literally just took off her top in the middle of the ring and she only lost because Sable also took off her top, but she had like, you know, the handprints over her breast. Um, and that was a big thing. So I guess they decided we're going to do it again. It's very pushing the boundaries and stuff. Um, it's very looking at it now from a, from a, you know, from a present lens as we're doing this show and also just, you know, years of experience and, and psychology, from a body language perspective, a lot of those women are uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. You, like, you can, you, like, if you watch it again, it doesn't, like, the one who's visibly very ticked off is Luna. Like, visibly very ticked off to even be, like, doing something like this. Ivory, Ivory's the same as well, but knowing Ivory, this might have been also part of her shtick. Um, but Ivory also looks very uncomfortable, very ticked off. Uh, about it Jacqueline played into it Terry is Terry you know that's this is kind of what she does um at the time in her career but overall it no one looks happy no one looks happy to it, especially if you look at the demographic of that audience at that time um very young white males at the, it's very visible in the audience Young white male, and so I'm. I'm very thankful that the general wrestling audience has become more diversified over time, and that these "Here Come the Women" segments are essentially eliminated because it makes for a better product, in my opinion. You know, um, but yeah, it's just it's the very. I forgot this happened, and then they said the Miss Rumble 2000. I go, oh crap, <laughs> um. You know, type deal. And the the worst part about it, it was like, and I was this is one of the reasons why I don't like beauty patches either, is I think it's stupid. Um, and it's just you know, it's just bad. Um I totally lost my train of thought, but I'm as I'm looking at my notes for the interesting thing here about May Young winning and covering and getting covered up. You know who covers her up? Mark Henry. Mark Henry comes in to cover up Mae Young. There's a little seed that they're planting there 
for the future of that. Um, in, in a well, big hand, big hand to Mark Henry, pun intended. <laughs> they've already been in the throes of a relationship on TV for a couple of months now. <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they, but a, but a big been... hand to Mark Henry for saving her. A bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's in a couple of weeks so by the time we get yeah, to no, so, way, no way out uh kyle i hope you're ready <laughs> yeah i'm just like i said i'm happy these segments are over and the here come the women segments are few and far between if not if so non-existent because we've proven over time that women can be a viable option and viable segments in a show where it doesn't regard anything involving their bodies or how they look absolutely just th- thank god these are done and Something I really want to scrub from my memory. Backstage, <laughs> Y2J and China, who are the dual intercontinental champions, are yeah. arguing arguing over who is wearing the title. Dave Hebner comes in and says, Yoink, honey Azar, get out there and wrestle. We then see a Don't Try This at Home commercial featuring places where we tried it at home. The playground. Oh, Airplane spin off of the merry-go-round? I wouldn't have thought of that. Thanks, <laughs> WWE. Ugh. Intercontinental title. Y2J, China, Hardcore Holly. And fun fact about Hardcore Holly around this time, that he weighed over, allegedly, over 400 pounds. He looked like it. I know. <laughs> Absolutely stacked, too. You got the dual champs bit. We have... Your classic triple threat spots where one person does something to the other person and they interrupt. China goes for the walls on Bob. I mean, Jericho, God, goes for the walls on Bob. China interrupts. Boo. Jericho does a dive to the outside and misses. China with the extremely impressive handspring elbow. I I don't care who you are. That's an impressive spot for for anyone. And And I used to see a lot of women in particular were doing that same move after china did she kind of pioneered it in a little bit dana brooke is very synonymous that's her, that's in her move set or ash by elegance as she goes as she is now debuted in tna but dana brooke did that all that was a quintessential part of her move set good spot uh tajiri does a very good handspring elbow himself you mm. got the ddt on y2j there's a superplex denied cena's Superplex going for here and a Tower of Doom spot not being attempted, <laughs> kind of like the ones we saw at uh, TNA this past weekend. It it's it's weird. China goes one for herself, but no. China goes for the chair, but then that's denied. Jericho gets the face crusher and the lion salt, and new. I mean, still, I mean, undisputed. I guess Intercontinental Champion. Chris Jericho having the title all to himself, finally. Yeah, this was a little confusing to me because it kind of plays back initially that China was the outright champion and then Jericho had a hissy fit. Um, but like, I mean, when you look at it a little bit more in storyline, it does make sense that China didn't walk out to the ring if there was a dispute as a title. I and you know, and again, looking at it now in a modern lens, like. We couldn't let China walk walked into the Garden of the Rumble with the belt, you know, as the recognized champion or whatever. Like, I get the co-champion belt. Like, we couldn't get, do that to her. Um, I also found it confusing because usually in the triple threat, there's somebody left out as an odd man, and that was what Bob Holly was, who JR clearly says in one of the first comments about Hardcore Holly is that 
He is described as a chauvinist at heart. So it was very well known that he apparently is like in real life and in character, a piece of shit guy, <laughs> um, which I found very interesting that JR kind of slipped that in, um, into, into describing him. Cause I mean, Bob Holly, great performer, just not a fun person to be around at all. Um, but Bob Holly in this match was kind of needed as kind of a buffer so it kind of works. And I only say that because I know there's some video that has come out recently that Jericho, Chris Jericho now, the guy who likes to yap about the mouth, uh, for better or worse, about his time in WWE, he was asked about working with China, and he says that China was terrible to work with. And that she was a stiff worker, and it was really difficult for him, and he didn't like to do it, but he had to do it because that's why they were pushing her, blah, 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 blah. But I look at this match, and I go, she's fine. Like, she, there's nothing there in that match. There's a couple of clunky spots, but a lot of that was on Jericho and whoever created the match, whoever was, like, um, who was the agent for the match. It just doesn't kind of mold. But none of that, I can, none of nothing that I saw in this match in particular really played to China being, quote-unquote, that bad and terrible to work with. If anything... Looking at it, looking at it, and he, after hearing Jericho's comments, it looks like Jericho was kind of in some ways seemed like he was tr almost trying to sabotage China. I know that's a bold claim to make, um, especially from Chris, because Chris usually will work with anybody regardless of his feelings, but it just seems like he really wasn't into it. Um, it's also pretty crazy at the time, because we remember China as being like this woman who was a pioneer, which she was, and did all these great things. But they don't like her in the garden at this time. Jericho is the favorite. Jericho's the guy in this match. Like, it's pretty clear. The only time I cheer for China is when she hits the pedigree. That's, like, the only time um, in the match, which is kind of a, a, a little interesting. You know, Jericho wins with his lion salt. You know, it's, it's kind of David becomes a champion. It just seems like... It's a weird match to look at now with a modern lens, especially with what Jericho said, especially because... In my opinion, China was fine in this match. She worked really well. And I, I go back to, you're not going to put somebody who was that bad on one of your biggest pay-per-views of the year in the garden. You know, for her performance, I think she did well. It's kind of a weird end to her IC title run, to be completely honest. Um, but it's a solid match. Solid match. And kudos to Bob Holly for being kind of the middleman in this whole thing. Yeah, this year, it was pretty much Jericho's trial by fire. Like, I have read... Uh, I have a couple of his books here on my, on my shelf and I read at least the ones that covered his WWE run. And this was the office giving him the opportunity and it says, okay, if you fuck this up, forget it. Like you're, yeah. you're toast. And, and that kind of plays into what you were talking about with his sabotage claims. Like he, he wanted to make it and he wanted to be one of the greats in WWE. And fortunately for him, he, he got to do so. And it was, because his few his debut feud with X Pac was just it it floundered it it went flat the Road Dog one was was abysmal and this is when he started finally gaining traction and getting the the rocket strapped to him here he would he would go into wrestle no he didn't go into WrestleMania as IC champion because there would be a certain Olympic double champion crowned in the coming weeks but Euro Continental would, champion people would say. The second ever Eurocontinental, and do you know who the first is? <laughs> I actually don't know who the first Eurocontinental champion is. 
Lilo Brown. Ah, what a guy. SummerSlam 1999. He walked in as the Eurocontinental champion. Jeff Jarrett walked out. And Jeff Jarrett the next night's like, here, Mark Henry, have a title for turning on your best friend. Just take it. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, and we got into the next match for the Tag Team Championships. I didn't take many notes for this one. We have the Outlaws versus the Acolytes. We are days away from the APA opening their patented backstage office. You're, we're not quite there, but by the time WrestleMania rolls around, the Acolyte Protection Agency is in business. They had won a number one contender's tag team turmoil match at Armageddon. Check out the back catalog for that. And we go into this match. They have been bickering on TV. Like last week when I had Nate on for the Cactus Jack Smackdown, he had the mm -hmm. Outlaws were taken on each member of the Acolytes in respective handicap matches. But if anyone interfered in those matches, they would lose their their title shot at the Rumble. Lo, lo and behold, the Outlaws won both of those matches. They were no DQ under ridiculous McMahon Helmsy regime uh, circumstances, and we are and we are here. Spock gets involved in this match. He he interferes, and there's a, there's a Famaster, and the Outlaws retain. They are not long for this world. Spoiler alert for next for next month. They they are met, I mean, beaten by the Dudley Boys for the tag titles coming up. So this is kind of mm. a passing of the torch era for the New yeah. Age Outlaws. Yeah, this is such a way. This match is such a waste of a video package that they were given. I mean, even this video package was, if you see like some of the clips, they they speed up the video package. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what is going on? Why is this in like two times play speed? Uh, because the match was like I don't know if they were cut for time or something ran too long. Probably the miss, probably the Miss Royal Rumble 2000 thing ran a little too long. Uh, but like this was a nothing match. This is a blink and you missed it, but nothing really happened. It's kind of what this match is. This is which is a shame looking at the talent in that ring. Like they could have done something really good here, and it just. It it essentially was the war to break because the next two matches, one's the the next two matches are iconic and one of them's the Royal Rumble. Yes, and, and, and it's funny, even listening to commentary back here, I don't know if JR really mentioned it this event, but he was singing the praises of Bradshaw, saying Bradshaw's a blue chipper, he's gonna be a champion, he's gonna be huge. And when I saw him as APA Bradshaw, I didn't quite get it. Of course, we would get to JBL, and, well, I have feelings about JBL that I won't get into at this particular time, but mm -hmm. he'd be right. Even in the Ross report in the WWE magazine, as early as 1997, he said Bradshaw's a main eventer. He just needed the right character, and that right that JBL character is amazing. I'm a big fan because I was around for a lot of a JBL era. Um of of wwe but i'm a big fan of jbl as a heel announcer i think he's one of the best heel announcers they've ever had especially in modern times say what you want about the person because he's kind of he's kind of flip floppy about how he sees things um 
but I can't knock. I think as an announcer, he was spot on a lot of the time, bringing realism to, to uh, being realism and also being realistically ridiculous um, at times as an announcer. It's that fun on Friday night, Muggle. And well, th- this next bit, like I love rock promos, and we were we're just after the coach. Jonathan Coachman had debuted a week previous to this very same promo. Yeah, he looks very young in his segment with uh, Linda. He's got hair and he doesn't have a beard. Like, yes, that is true. It's very weird. So The Rock does his promo. Finally, The Rock has come back to New York City. And the, the backstage announcer asks him, is there any superstar that you have a concern with in this match tonight? Seeming to think that he's going to say the big show, he's like, Headbanger Mosh and Crash Holly. If I can get by those two, then maybe The Rock has a shot. But hey, what about The Big Show? Uh, The Big Show has got to take a big, tall glass of shut up juice. He wipes the monkey ass. Mike wipes the monkey's ass with what you think. And The Rock promises no. The Rock guarantees that he is going to win. The Royal Rumble match tonight, if you smell what The Rock is cooking. Shut up, Juice, and wipes the monkey's ass. That Those phrases have lived rent-free in my head since then. Mm-hmm. And not one of his iconic lines. It looks like The Rock was kind of stretching to figure out what he wanted to do if he watches back. Because this isn't a... As far as Rock promos go, this is very vanilla. Very, very vanilla. Um, and this is a, but it is also one of the beginnings of him messing with Michael Cole, which became a thing for a very long time. Any backstage reporter, except for maybe Lillian, um, he messed with. All, he messed, he messed with Lillian. He messed with Lillian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not in the ways that he did with like Coach and and Cole. Um, but yeah, it's it's the Rock segment. It was good, but like there's, like I said, as far as Rock backstage promos go. There's nothing really here that's like gonna surprise anybody. Like these catchphrases aren't the Rudy Pooh doesn't smack down hotel. It's nothing like that. Very like a lower tier of, of rock stuff. Because he didn't keep these he didn't keep these catchphrases around for long. They 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 were just fun. They're of its time. They I they're yeah. they're memorable. Like I'm like I still remember Shut Up Juice and it's 24 years. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's that's a that's what I want to say to somebody sometime. But my lord, that this next this is why we're here. Besides the rumble match, but this next match, iconic for all the right reasons. It's a star-making performance for Triple H as he defends the WWF Championship against not mankind, certainly not Do Love, but Cactus Jack, making another appearance in the WWE. He did a one-off bit in 99 against the corporate ministry. But Triple H is no stranger to Cactus Jack as we go back to Monday Night Raw in 1997, also at MSG, where Cactus Jack came out and said, you know what, you beat Mankind, you beat Do Love. Uh, you didn't beat me. The little Was that the Three Faces had. of Foley segment? That was the Three Faces of Foley segment on, on the Titan Tron. Uh, because Triple H remembers him that as soon as he said Cactus Jack, you just see Triple H's face, he just goes white. Stephanie is told to leave on the way to the ring because this ain't going to be pretty. There's a lot of notes here. 
for this match. There's a whole bunch of amazing spots. You got that iconic bit where Cactus Jack is just kind of leaning his head just a little bit and talking shit at Triple H, which I think is going to be the logo for this week's podcast. Fan, fantastic spot. He's basically saying, you know, okay, you want to make it? You're here because this, this here, I think, is where the rocket is really strapped to trips. He was a multi-time world champion by this point, but nothing was really working until now because he needed the right opponent. He needed the right time. And Mick Foley was the guy, although ironically, Mick Foley was the guy that Hunter beat for the title for the first time following mm -hmm. SummerSlam 99. Uh, we have the that iconic shot. Cactus Jack is taking control. Baseball slide to the outside into a swinging neckbreaker, which was a very impressive spot uh, in McFoley's. I believe it was his second book. Foley is good. He was talking about how he was trying to trim down weight, maybe about 10, 15 pounds between whenever the match was going to happen. So he was doing a lot of cardio. He was trimming down just a little bit and it showed in this match. Uh, Cactus leg dropped to the back. He got a walk and brawl. Triple H gets the bell and rings Cactus's bell. He gets the, uh, the chair and, Right away, I'm just, oh, dear God, don't do Rumble 99. Don't do Rumble 99, please. <laughs> chair to the head. We get the leg drop on the chair. There is a Chef Boyardee cosplayer in the crowd. Mmm, beefy. Classic Mankind commercials. Brawdle the ramp. And that stage, the graffiti, the friggin' sewer lid on the floor, which made me think uh, Toxic the Turtles. Cover. Get, the, the manhole cover. The Toxic Turtles were going to come out. Uh, Google that one, kids. That was a new generation trip and a half. <laughs> My lord, the, the suplex on the trash can. Uh, somewhere in this bit here, Triple H gets a chair and the rock appears out of nowhere and belts Triple H with the chair from the stage. And then finally, what we've been building up towards and teased, Barbie comes out. A barbed wire two by four emerges and, the, and Hebner... Dick Hole Earl Hebner here stops. It's a no DQ match, Earl. What are you? Yeah. So Triple H gets the low blow and we're delayed two by four for now. And then Triple H gets it and hits Cactus Jack with it multiple times. Cactus low blows Triple H with the two by four, just right through right through the, the gooch. We have his hands on the two by four now, and he just starts wailing Triple H with it. He gets a really nasty gash on his calf. It's very fortunate that it did not approach his his Achilles tendon. We get more mm -hmm. walking and walking and brawling. The cactus driver through the table is reversed into a this one's for Nate and the ruthless aggression pod. A spagingo, a back body drop, ding. The table does not break. Pedigree is reversed into a slingshot. We got a bulldog onto Barbie. Triple H's face is being shredded by this two by four. Got an, the ugly spot that Mankind always did, even with The Undertaker, where he is hip-tossed on the outside and the back of his leg just curls through the ring steps. Just, man, that, that's an ACL injury and a half. Hmm. Cactus Jack gets handcuffed. Oh, God, 1999. It is denied, and Cactus is like, he's cuffed up. He's screaming at Triple H, hit me, hit me. 
This is when The Rock comes in and belts Triple H in the head. You get a cactus driver on the table. It does not break. I am the table. And what does Cactus Jack dig out now, Ricky? In the uh, bag? I think it's thumbtack, thumbtack, thumbtack time. Thumbtack. It's only the second time I think they've been they've been busted out in WWE. Do you remember the first? With Cactus? And, oh, was it that, that was Hell in the Cell, right? Yeah, it was Hell in the was, Cell 98. Yeah, it was Hell in the Cell 98. Once again, digging into his old bag of tricks, literally. Stephanie comes out here. We get a back body drop onto the tax. And Mankind, like only Mankind does, just rolls on them here. We get a pedigree and a kick out. And Triple H is just like, nope, get over here. Pedigree in the thumbtacks. Holy shit. Triple H retains historic match. And one bit here that is noteworthy at the end that he is so beat up that he is stretchered out of the arena. But Mankind, Mick Foley, Cactus, whatever you want to call him, Cactus mm-hmm. Jack walks out of the arena, then decides to beat on Triple H some more, take him off the gurney, get him in the ring, another Barbie shot. This feud continues, and it continues in the most epic fashion. My my God, th- this is the match of the year 2000 for me, Like even though I just started this year on the podcast. it's Nothing's <laughs> going to top it. Ricky? Take it away. Yeah, there's a, there's some interesting things that happen here. Number one, the the video package for this was phenomenal, and it's very similar to the way that the video package to open the show. This Royal Rumble 2000, the the event is not about the Royal Rumble. It's about Cactus Jack and Triple H. That's the way it's married. So it's also very surprising to me, but not surprising at the time. But this didn't go on last because you still had the Royal Rumble to do. Because uh, this is this is a main event. In, in any other pay-per-view uh, of that time. It is interesting to me a couple of things. Uh, you mentioned the barbed wire spun, how Earl Hebner took it away and hit it behind the Spanish announce team. But then Mick Foley beats up the Spanish announcers to <laughs> get to get the barbed wire uh, two by four back. It is very interesting that those tables do not break because they do two table spots and those tables both don't break. Two announce tables don't really give at all and in almost the first one where Foley flips triple h out of the um out of the uh pile driver or yeah out of a pedigree from the table if you notice really quickly earl hefner bless his heart um actually removes one of the tv monitors where triple h would have landed on he removes it really quickly then taps Foley and triple h on like when like in the legs or taps taps fully under the legs so like triple h can see it as well being like you're good you're good go it's a very interesting spot to be very visible but also bless earl hebner for trying to keep these guys safe like and i don't think i didn't think reps get enough credit for like doing those little things to kind of be like all right you guys are good to go like like you're you're fine now. Like he like he doesn't move that monitor out of the way. You get like what what happened to Randy Orton in WrestleMania 30. He does like the the super RKO on the Daniel Bryan, and he freaking he forgets the monitors there and lands on his back. <laughs> yeah, the Batista Bob RKO in WrestleMania 30. That was because he didn't move a, the monitor out of the way. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, so, so it's little things like that that make makes the ref jobs really good. Um, 
Triple H has a crimson mask as soon as like the first barbed wire hit to his head. He is leaking for the rest of the match. Um, you know, you forget Cactus Jack tried to bite Triple H's ear, which is also a spot in there. Um, it was interesting the way that this was done because Foley kicked out of the pedigree, which was pretty much a no-no at the time. It's a very interesting Foley kicks out of the pedigree. It's pretty much a no-no. Stephanie had shown up, even though Triple H said stay back, which kind of was like a coy distraction because this is the McMahon, the advent of the McMahon-Helmsley era because previously they had fired Mick Foley and the only reason he got back was because of The Rock. Rock and Sock Connections building here. The Rock acts request that Foley like, get reinstated and that's why Foley is back in wrestling at this point uh, storyline-wise. The interesting thing, like The Rock like the biggest calamity of this match is the rock shows up, which kind of makes sense. And then he like, he hits him with a chair and like runs back. Cause he has to rumble the win, obviously at the end, but the only reason, and it's never explained by JR, by King, by anybody. The only reason fully gets out of those handcuffs is that a random New York city cop walks, walks out and uncuffs Foley and then walks away. And no one talks about it. Like, why is he here? Who is he? You just, he just uncuffs Foley and walks away. Like, I, it made, I was like, this is completely and utterly random. Like, it, it's a weird thing. Like, it is a fantastic moment. But that moment, I'm just like, why, the, why was this a moment? And also, why didn't The Rock just uncuff Foley? You know, why did you need a cop to do it? The Rock had already come out. Laid out Triple H with a chair while Triple H just laid out, get the keys, uncuff Foley, walk away. Instead, they literally had a random New York City cop, like, uncuff Foley. Like, it just, maybe The Rock missed the spot or something or was too juiced up. But either way, very interesting. Even though Triple H won, they gave Foley about, like, he got his revenge quickly and beat up Triple H. But it's a great match. And, like, he got pedigreed once. He kicked out. Triple H says, okay, F you pedigrees of on the on the uh tax and then Foley can't kick out so it's beautiful storytelling um and a fantastic match and if the rumble wasn't the final match of the night over next thing this would have main evented because that's the way that they set up this this event absolutely phenomenal bit here and before right after howard finkel god god rest thanks the best God rest that man's soul. He's explaining the rules. And one thing that I goes kind of weirded out by was every two minutes or less, a new person. And JR said 90 seconds. There was a little bit of a difference there. A, a little bit of confusion. And if you actually sat down and timed certain rumbles, the math doesn't add up sometimes, but I am not enough of a nerd to even attempt that. But mm-hmm. they did a they did a flashback here to the '95 Royal Rumble, the worst Royal Rumble of all time, from the worst year in not only WWE but this was when WCW was doing the Dungeon of Doom and that flatbed truck match that got Dustin Rhodes fired. <laughs> um, and it was when British Bulldog and Shawn Michaels, who started that Rumble, and that was in every one minute. It was a 32 minute Royal Rumble. It was just flew by yeah flew, flew by so if you want to kill half an hour and you can't sleep 95 rumble is a good, good <laughs> way to do it. and 
they start it, they finish it, and British Bulldog seemingly wins. We're getting Bulldog versus Diesel at Mania 11? Okay, uh, no, it was only one of Shawn Michaels' feet touching the floor. I wonder why we're showing this. I know you're cleaning up the ring of the thumbtacks because you don't want, like, D'Lo Brown or Rikishi getting stuck in those, but, oh boy, it's the 2000 Royal Rumble match, and I'm just going to give you the participants here now. In years past, I've done Rumble match watch-alongs, but I don't think we don't have the capabilities or the time to do so, but here we go. We got D'Lo Brown, Grandmaster Sexay, Headbanger Mosh, Watch Out Rock, Christian, mm-hmm. Rakishi, Scotty Tuhati, Steve Muffuggin Blackman, Viscera, The Big Boss Man, Test, The British Bulldog, Gangrel, Edge, Bob Backland, put a pin in that, Chris Jericho, Crash Holly, Watch Out Rock, China, mm-hmm. Farouk, The Road Dog, Al Snow, Val Venus, Albert, Bob Holly, The Rock, Billy Gunn, The Big Show, I wrote down JBL just because it's short, shorter form. Kane, the Godfather, and the man who was pre-announced as number 30, winning a match in McMahon Helmsley faction shenanigans way, X-Pac. And this, Royal Rumbles usually have a bit in one or two or three parts. Like 2001 was the hardcore shenanigans and Kane and Drew Carey. One of our most recent ones was at 2020 where Brock Lesnar started and then halfway through, he's finally eliminated. You're setting up Mania. This one had maybe one major part in it and it was Rakishi. Yeah, so mm-hmm. D-Lo Grandmaster, they start off. Mosh comes out with these weird foam breast-looking things and then King's like, oh, that looks like May Young. D- don't remind me. Yeah, for it's, it's, God. it's weird. It's, it's, it's not a metal thing. Like I'm, I, I grew up li- listening. I was listening to new metal around this time. I would have been listening to corn, Limp biscuit, Metallica, Godsmack, all those bands. They, I think I know what they were trying to replicate. Like Marilyn Manson's the dope show. She, he, God is wearing prosthetic looking. It looks like Marilyn Manson has tits. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're all stars now in the dope show. And in, in this match, high and tie, Takamichinoku, Shofunaki, they, they're livid that they're not involved in this match. Like on Sunday Night Heat, they were trying to get in, but all the numbers were drawn. Uh, mean Street Posse also gets involved here. Uh, the King is being blatantly racist here and calling them Chinese. They're Japanese, you asshole. Uh, Kaintai gets yeeted the second or third time they get into this match. Takamichinoku takes an awful bump, like right on his face, getting sent out of the ring by the boss man. He yes. Concussed, like 110% he was concussed. It was that they replay at the King's request multiple times. Like WWE really glorified headshots and concussions, especially in this pay per view. Um, which again, looking at it now in the modern lens, you're like, this is not fun like they were literally like making him yes it is a funny horrific botch moment and luckily for his career and his livelihood he he's fine now but like i was like wow you keep on replaying this like this it was it's a clear botch it's a clear mistake and they kept like now current times they wouldn't completely they wouldn't repeat this you know but it was one of those things i'm just like yeah this is rough 
you'd have the match stop like what was it Austin Theory and Carmelo Hayes had theirs. Thank God they're yeah. both okay. And speaking yeah. of talking Michinoku, uh, he he wrestled uh, the day after Wrestle Kingdom, like whatever that show was called. Uh, New Year's Dash. Know. New Year's Dash. Yeah, he wrestled, and and this is twenty four years after the fact. He was very young at this point in time. Yes, he was. Like Taka's not much older than I am, and he is he's still going strong today. They they get yeeted out, and then Rakichi finally makes his way into this into this match. He gets rid of Mosh, Christian, and D'Lo, and then out comes to Cool to come and have a dance off with them. They do so. They give the fans what they want. Too Cool is just starting to really take off now, and this might have been a star making performance for this act as a whole. They got all the pops. Yes, saw uh, Scotty get out uh, the sunglasses here, puts them on Rikishi. Rikishi then just smashes both of them, eliminates them, and he's like, hey, every man for himself, I'm going for a title here. I did this for The Rock. Oh, wait, spoiler alert for nine months down the line. <laughs> we see then Blackman, he gets sent back to the motherfucking dojo. And when Viscera comes out, I took note here that there was an audible gasp from the crowd when he emerges because Viscera, Mabel, Big Daddy V, whatever you want to call him, he was a massive, massive man. He was tall and wide, like 6'10", 500 pounds, and these two new generation stalwarts in here. And they're no strangers from each other. I believe they both might be BSK. If I'm not mistaken, uh, I'm not. I don't know. I know Rikishi is. I don't know if Viscera or Mabel or whatever you want to call him. God rest his soul. Uh, was a part of it, but I loved this moment. Um, and it's kind of a shame just due to all of the factions or whatever in WWE at the time, like very large groups of people together. McMahon, Helmsley, you know, corporate ministry somewhere down the line at that point, uh, and things like that are behind us. Um, because. I was very into Viscera Rikishi in the room. They gave him a moment where they could they did one on one for a pretty long time, and you could see like these were two large men, um, but they were athletic. They were they worked beautifully with each other for the time they were in the room. I was like, this could have led to a one on one, like you know, two big beefy men slapping me like it, but like it worked. Like, at the time, Visser was able to move and was, like, athletic, and he hit a leg drop on Rikishi, and he looked smooth doing it. Like, these guys came together so well in that moment that I wish we could have had more of that, where they did, like, a legit one-on-one sometime down the road, because it would have been entertaining. I think they actually had that the next pay-per-view, No Way Out. I know that's Mark Henry and Visser, because that's the, I'm pregnant uh, <laughs> oh. uh, big boss man comes out here and he he hesitates he's like nah i'm just gonna wander around the ring for a little bit until the next person good heel work exactly test who would beat boss man for the hardcore title the very next night with an elbow drop when he had like he had a the nightstick kind of embedded with his elbow tested mm-hmm. boss Beat boss man in that spot. That spot still lives rent free. Just yeah, I, I loved it. I, I was a big test mark. He grew up in a town less than an hour away from me in Oshawa, Ontario. I went to my last, the last house show I went to before Toronto in 
the end of December. That was the last house show I went to was in Oshawa. Oh. Like 45 minute drive from my house, from my parents' house. Okay. Yeah. And Martin, and I had neighbors who were Martins and I'm like, I wonder if you're related because although my one neighbor looked a lot more like Scott Steiner than Test, maybe there's a a connection there. Uh, This is Bulldog's last mainstream WWE pay-per-view appearance until his passing two years after this. He would he would appear at a UK pay-per-view rebellion in April, but it breaks my heart to see Bulldog here because he he was gassed. He he didn't have it. I mean, that back injury that almost killed him, the trapdoor that the warrior came out at Fall Brawl. Yeah, just that 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 botch damn near killed him. The ring is filling up here again and of all people in MSG, you have to break out a legend, and it's Bob Backlund. Great prop for the crowd. Uh, one of the only true surprises of that rumble. There wasn't that many. There's Bob Backlund's one, um, and then there's another person who shows up as well, although she had already done her surprise the first year, uh, the previous year, but she does make a you know a valiant return. But Bob Backlund's the only real like non active wrestler at the time that shows up and i mean you think about back, bob Backlund has one of the longest wwf wwe championship reigns in history and a lot of that it was on the back of him you know headlining msg so it made sense for him to come back he was also running for he was running for office <laughs> at, at least in kayfabe he was in, in kayfabe, 96, he was running for office yeah in 96 he was running for president i mean a wrestler running for <laughs> president of the united states just imagine a world where that can happen a wwe hall of famer as the president anyways yeah, weird, is- weird times <laughs> oh you're not kidding everyone is ganging up on rikishi it takes six to eight men to finally eliminate him much to the chagrin of the crowd bob backland is taking msg back to the 70s by doing the atomic drop to gangrel finishing move which he sells beautifully bob gets eliminated and then he just goes through the crowd and starts campaigning in the crowd yeah there's a great moment i was like bob Backlund walking through the crowd is kind of nuts and i that's that's how bob Backlund is uh but it was a good good little moment it was a it was a great one here uh the king during the last half of the rumble every countdown the king's like it's the rock it's the rock and it's <laughs> not <laughs> until finally he he gets it right. Uh, the ring then begins to empty, and The Rock immediately targets Crash Holly. Uh, nope. Okay, now that you're gone, I'm winning. It's fine. I can do this. Uh, Kane comes out here, and the arena just looks like RVD was smoking somewhere in the crowd. Is that, that yeah? The lack that, of pyro in this uh, in this show is very interesting, and I think that was just uh, just because of the way that they had set up the arena. You couldn't really do it like um, you couldn't do it safely. No, and, and there would just be too much smoke billowing here. And correct, you, yeah, you, ventilation was a problem. Yeah, K- Kane's pyro really made uh, things hard to see for a little bit here. Godfather, of course, coming out with his uh, with his clients. X Pac being the last one winning some random McMahon Helmsley match. The ring empties, and it's down to the Rock and the Big Show. And did you remember seeing the HBK Bulldog flashback? Well, here mm-hmm. it was here again, although they didn't really play much into it here. Uh, in the coming weeks on Raw leading up to No Way Out, Big Show's like, no, I won. Uh, Rock's 
feet touch first because he'd try to get all the camera angles. Monday Night Raw the next night would do that very thing, but The Rock is named the winner of the Royal Rumble, trying to replicate Lex and Brett, trying to replicate Bulldog and HBK. There's apparently controversy here, but as they say, controversy creates cash. That it how does. Did like this, how did you like this Rumble match, Ricky? It was fine. You know, it wasn't anything that was pretty crazy. It's not one of the more memorable Rumbles for much of anything. I mean, you have some interesting things. They made Rikishi the guy with the most eliminations at seven. Um, Rikishi had a, Rikishi was the story of the first third of that Rumble. Um, because he was taking on everybody. The crowd loved Rikishi, even when he was dancing with Too Cool. And after he eliminated them and did a dancing with Solo, he has a great ad lib because Scotty Tuhati's um, bucket hat that he cuts out the center of was left in the ring and none of the reps could get it while Rikishi was dancing. But Rikishi saw it and put it as a part of his like freestyle and then threw it out the ring like midway through the dance. I was like, that is a beautiful ad lib by a performer <laughs> to like to continue things going. Um, test Andrew Martin, 26 minutes, 17 seconds is the Iron Man. Um, oh, yeah, I, I looked up some of the stats of it. Obviously, China came in for the second year in a row, making her second appearance in the Rumble, um, and continuing that on again, off again feud with Jericho, so who she targeted, uh, clearly before. The saddest part about this Rumble, um, but before I get to the saddest part, I found it very interesting that there were a lot of shots to the nuts during this rumble in particular. No DQ. And and I yeah, but like I don't know why that was a thing for this rumble because you never really see it any other time in the rumble. But like there's just a crap ton of nut shots. But the saddest thing looking at it now is seeing all of these uh, like almost a third of that group is no longer with us have passed away. You know, you have Grandmaster Sexay who JR actually made a really funny quip at King that that man was cursed since birth or something like that. He made a quip at, at the king. Uh, you know, Grandmaster Sexay, Boss Man, Tass, and they all uh, they all like came out in a similar time. Um, Crash, I, I think Crash has passed away, I believe, as well. Yeah, uh, three. Yeah. Uh, it was just a lot of people who are like, wow, none of these guys are living anymore. It's a very crazy thing to think about. That is that. That's like, I think I counted six. Six of these people yeah, are no longer. It's about a, It's about almost a third of the of the of the participants in that rumble don't have aren't living. That's un, That's that is sad. It, it's it's very interesting thing, and you look back at it now because, and you look at how very wild, wild west the attitude era was with spots and concussions and and drug usage, you know, and things like that, and. <laughs> It's sad, but it's also no surprise that a lot of these people aren't here because it's just the way that the business was being handled at the time. But a overall, them, it's a, yeah. Overall, solid rumble. Them. Yeah, overall, solid rumble. Um, the Rock was the clear favorite. There was really anybody else outside of the big show. They were obviously building to Rock Big Show because Big Show was finally kind of getting off the of snide. Um, but then, you know, the most convoluted main event in WrestleMania history ended up happening several months later with 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 people in every corner from the same family oh boy yeah but, but that is war rumble 2000 i 
it is considered one of the greatest you know pay-per-views of the entire attitude era and although despite a few of the fillers and other things in this event i could somewhat agree with that and i i had a good time reviewing this ricky we're gonna get some plugs out of the way where can people mm -hmm. find you and are we gonna hear any tales of any kind in the near future <laughs> okay because i do so much stuff it's time for the longest series of plugs ever ladies and gentlemen this is king ricky realze your general manager of wrestleatic radio home of the Wrestlemania podcast and lead host of kings of the rings podcast the award the award nominated kings of the rings podcast kings of the rings podcast in particular has been nominated by the sports podcast group as a part of the sports podcast awards we are a finalist for the 2024 category of best wrestling podcast uh, you can um, vote for us by clicking any by clicking our link tree or any of the links in any of our social media pages. Uh, find Kings of the Rings podcast, particularly at KOTR underscore podcast, because all social media outlets uh, find um, find WrestleAddict Radio uh, at Addict underscore Wrestle on Twitter, because I'm not calling him X, and at WrestleAddict Radio everywhere else on social media. Again, obviously, you're listening to us on WrestleAddict Radio, The Cure. For the common wrestling podcast we are found on we are found on all uh podcasts all major podcast networks apple uh spotify uh the now defunct google podcast amazon music uh so on and so forth and me and me personally you can find me uh officially kind of at ambassador biggs across all social media outlets b-i-g-z or as fred says zed uh ambassador biggs uh as fred's alluded to I do have my own uh, personal podcast called Tales of an Epic Nature, shortened just to uh, Tales, which I have recently begun to um, unload or recently decided to release uh, my latest season, a very, very long, very, very intimate uh, season to to say the least. Uh, the first five episodes are out right now on all, again, on all uh, podcasts, uh, listening sites, Tales of an Epic Nature. Um, and the next batch for you, Mr. Fretz, will be a week from today. All right. Will be a week a, a week from today. Will the next three episodes will be released? Yeah. So this is kind of a uh, what I've been seeing. It's it's a week by week journey, kind of into your Jordan yes. year, as you put it. Yeah. It's 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 uh. So just for really quick, uh, all of last year due to various reasons. Uh, one in particular, but due, due to various reasons, I decided to uh, take a massive hiatus, Darkness Retreat, if you're Aaron Rodgers, um, from all of my own personal social media uh, and not really interact, not interact at all on any of my social media platforms. Uh, the only time I did interact was with, uh, with, you know, the podcast stuff. Obviously, we did pretty well because we we're not the Kings of the Rings podcast in particular is nominated. Uh, for for a very awesome award um but i took some time away to focus on myself and my mental health and you know kind of see where i was at in life and i decided to turn it into something that not only is could is potentially beneficial for me because i feel like it was a good journey but also beneficial for anybody else that may be listening to it it highlights a lot of things uh for me personally so it's a very candid and Fred's, i think you agree it's probably the most candid i've ever been on any sort of platform about anything uh yeah. you've only there are only five episodes in uh but it, it, i felt um pretty much that if I can help at least one person or shed light on something and use my own life as kind of a example, 
then I probably have done my job. Uh, and, you know, I think it's, it's really, I think it's touching from a lot of people that I have heard in my personal life, touching up on a lot of issues, bringing them to some sort of self-reflection, but also highlighting uh, a very big thing of, of mental health, you know, particularly men's mental health, because I am a male, um, but like kind of mental health in general and how do, how do people kind of take care of themselves, especially when they're not doing so well mentally and, and how do you cope with, with a lot of different issues that you will continually see uh, that I'm going through throughout last year uh, from, you know, 2023, also known as the Jordan year. So those will be coming out, I think, probably once every two weeks, at least at least three episodes at a time. Um, and like, like so far, I've been getting a lot of good feedback, but we'll see how it goes. My focus primarily right now, because um, those episodes are done, but I'm getting people to vote currently for Kings of the Rings podcast and getting some recognition out there, which we already have, but continuing that uh, and, you know, really getting your votes to vote for us for Best Wrestling Podcast. We've been doing this, Jesus, for like almost a decade, if you really want to believe it. Uh, And it's really nice to get a recognition of this magnitude from other people in the podcast industry, some big people in the podcast industry uh, to get nominated as a potential finalist for this award. And now we're going to try to win it. Um, and the only way we win is we get your vote. So please vote for us again. Links to all of that are in our socials. Definitely voted. And I encourage all of you people that are listening to this right now to do so. Vote for Kings of the Rings. Some of the best folks I know are on that podcast. And you can follow them at where Ricky just said so. And you can follow me on all the social medias. I'm on Twitter, Instagram. Sometimes I'm on threads. Sometimes I'm on Blue Sky. <laughs> Hey, if you want a blue sky code, hit me up. I can get you on there. If you want a band of the sinking ship, that is Twitter. You can follow me on all of those Instagram, whatnot at Fretzelmania, F-R-E-T-Z-L-E Mania. Uh, yep. You can find me on Russellatic Radio. Say it with me, kids. The cure for the common wrestling podcast each and every week that I'm able to. So until next time, mm-hmm. folks, Ricky, thank you very much for coming on here. My pleasure, Mr. Fretz. Anytime you need me, I'm always here. That's perfect. I might have another MSG show for you, or I might have another Attitude Era show for you down the line. But we'll cross that bridge when we get there. We'll cross that bridge when we get there, folks. So until next time, TTFN, ta-ta for now. And as always, keep your stick on the ice. Go Chiefs. This has been a Wrestle Attic Radio branded podcast.